Hello and welcome to this episode of the Potato Link podcast. My name is Stephanie Tabone from Applied Horticultural Research. The purpose of this podcast episode is to summarise the activities and findings of the Potato Link demonstration, which took place at Springbank in Victoria over the 2022-2023 growing season. The demonstration looked at two key topics. The first, the use of biological products and the considerations for maximising the effectiveness of biologicals in a commercial farm setting. The second, moisture monitoring to support irrigation management decisions and ground truthing what growers are actually seeing in the field. This episode of the podcast will focus on the use of biologicals. It is important to note this demonstration was not a replicated trial, however serves to promote thinking about how we use biologicals effectively on farm. First, I'd like to acknowledge grower Neville Quinlan and agronomist and Potato Link Regional Representative Stuart Grigg for their ongoing support of the project and their time and effort in helping us to deliver the demonstration. If you'd like to read more about the results from this demonstration, you can do so in the article, Using Biologicals in a Commercial Farm Setting, which was published in issue 10, the 2023 spring edition of the Potato Link magazine. The link to the article will be provided in the show notes. Now, a bit of background about the site where the demonstration was held. The paddock was of a clay soil type and had a sire oat crop grown prior to the potato crop. The soil phosphorus levels before planting were 44 ppm Olsen P and 150 ppm Colwell P. The potato crop was the variety Innovator, which was planted in December 2022 using the same seed source in the entire paddock. The crop received a base fertilisation of Croplift 800 at 650 kilos per acre, supplemented with 10 kilos of humic acid. In addition, infurrow applications of metalaxyl and azoxystrobin fungicides were applied at planting. The yield and quality characteristics of the crop, which were collected for the demonstration, took place at the end of April 2023, with the crop harvested commercially in mid to late August 2023. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Kelvin Montague, who's going to talk about what we did at the site and why. Kelvin, welcome to the podcast. Can you please give yourself a brief introduction? Uh, thanks, Steph. Uh, yeah, my name's Calvin Montague, and um, I'm with the um, with Potato Link team, um, looking at uh, some of the soil-related uh, aspects of the project. Okay, so jumping into the demonstration, what was the purpose of the demonstration, and why was it important that we looked at biologicals? We, we've seen over the last um, decade or two a, a dramatic shift in in the profile of biologicals. Um, so there's been a lot of new products coming out onto the market. And really part of the challenge for growers is to understand um, how they might test those on their farm and, and also what sort of changes they might need to make within their farming system, uh, within their practices for these biological products to actually work. Um, you know, they are working um, biologically um, so you have to make some space so that it can actually deliver um, some of the benefits. And I think what we're trying to address here is the principles of the biological products are very sound. So you can generally take them and test them in a um, small trial in a glasshouse, for example, in pots, and you can you can demonstrate that and 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 clearly see that they work. Um, the real challenge is scaling those up to a commercial operation. 
and and that's what uh, the demonstration sites um, are really aiming to to do. So the product we used at the site was Endoprime, which is the product that contains four species of mycorrhizal fungi. Kelvin, can you shed some light on what are <clears throat> our vascular mycorrhizal fungi? What do they do, and why have we been looking at them? Yeah, so so mycorrhizal um, fungi are, are one of the, I guess I call them the flagship of beneficial um, fungi, um, along with trichodermas. They are well known um, within this within the um, uh, you know the the system as being beneficial, and what we're trying to look at is is how do they actually work within a an intense production system. So mycorrhizal fungi, I want to make it really clear is they can't live by themselves. So they have to form this association or symbiotic relationship with the host plants, in this, this case, potatoes. Um, and the relationship is really a cost benefit. Both the fungi and the plant have to get something out of it. For the fungi, that's pretty obvious. What they do is they get fed. Um, so the plant basically gives the sugars um, to fuel the fungi's growth and, and um, function. And what the plant has to assess is, is there any benefit to me? What will the fungi give back to me? And another thing I'd really like to make clear is it's the plant that is the gatekeeper of the relationship. They determine whether the fungi come in or not. So you can have lots and lots of mycorrhizal fungi in your soil, but if the um, plant says, no, I don't think there's a benefit compared to the cost of, of feeding you, then the plant just says, no, you're not coming in. Um, go away. The other thing I'd make a uh, key point I'd make is is that there are many different species of mycorrhizal fungi, about 150 different types. We use in commercial products typically four or five species, um, but you've got to remember when you put them onto your soil, you may have quite a background um, of native, what I call native mycorrhizal, and they will perform differently. And sometimes those native ones are actually more adapted to the the situation. Probably the other thing that really determines mycorrhizal fungi's performance is around phosphorus. And it's probably the biggest, one of the biggest challenges we've got in potatoes is that um, generally one of the major benefits um, delivered by the fungi to the plant is available phosphorus. Now, in most of our growing soils, we have very high levels of phosphorus. And so the plant says, no, I'm not going to support you. And that's one of the challenges we have. When we see good levels of mycorrhizal association with potatoes, it's generally on high um, phosphorus-fixing soil. So I'm thinking, you know, around Manjin up in WA, uh, northern Tassie, those sorts of soils where phosphorus availability is an issue. The other two things that mycorrhizal fungi don't like are cultivation. They don't like being chopped up. And they're not real keen on being fumigated, although they do bounce back pretty quickly, both from chemical and um, by fumigant fumigation, they are pretty resilient. What are some of the other benefits apart from seeking out nutrients like phosphorus in the soil? Uh, so, so mycorrhizal fungi can do lots of things um, as well around um, disease um, suppression. So basically protecting the um, potato root from, from diseases. They also, there's some evidence around that says they are good at forming um, stable soil structure. So as the, the hyphae grow out to the soil, they excrete um, different compounds and they actually glue the soil together. So they're quite good at doing that. Um, and then 
nutrient availability, uh, phosphorus, zinc being the main ones. Um, and there's some, yeah, so they're the main, the main benefits that you see. So it certainly makes a lot of sense for growers to be looking at products that have mycorrhizal fungi in them, given that they can serve a whole different range of functions uh, <clears> that are of benefit to the crop and, and to the grower in turn. So what we did at the demonstration site, we had a few different treatments. We applied endoprime across the whole paddock. This was typically the grower standard, uh, which included applying a fungicide uh, in furrow at planting, but also a normal fertilizer program with a base fertilizer containing all the major nutrients. To compare it to a control, so to speak, we had a strip without endoprime. We also had a strip without the fungicide applied in furrow, a small strip without base fertilizer, and then another strip without phosphorus fertilizer. Kelvin, could you explain why we did these treatments? Yeah, it sort of builds on what I was talking about before is the challenges around getting um, mycorrhizal into your crop by applying endoprime. Then you're trying to address the fact that some of, some of the soils or many of the soils, um, vegetable growing soils, have very low levels of inoculant. Um, so the things that really reduce the amount of inoculant are bare fallow because there's no host plant to host the mycorrhizal. Um, if you've got brassicas in your rotation, they also don't host mycorrhizal. So all those things plus cultivation will drive down the a level of inoculant in your soil. So that's the logic for putting on um, a inoculant, in this case, endoprime. We then looked at um, uh, things that might um, inhibit the, uh, the the symbiotic relationship with the plant and obviously phosphorus is one. So we dropped out the phosphorus fertilizer. And this site was a, uh, a moderate level of, of phosphorus, I think around about the 40 Bray P. Um, so I'd call it a sort of a moderate level. And so you would expect that there'd be more chance for that um, inoculation and association to develop. The fungicide, obviously you're putting a fungus on and then you're applying a fungus. Now, I know, I know uh, Endoprime has been screened for a number of fungicides and they said that it's it's resilient to this, but it might be okay, but but putting a fungicide on with a fungi, uh, you know, you, 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 there's the potential for it to in, inhibit the uh, um, um, relationship with the plant. So we dropped that out to see what that would do. Uh, and, then, and then just total-based fertiliser was just a sort of more of extreme one. <clears throat> but so what we're trying to do overall is, is one, do you need to add it and then uh, and mycorrhizal? And two, do you need to change the way you manage your crop to make some room for the endoprime? Thanks for that, Kelvin. So then once the crop had been growing for a period of time, it had gotten close to harvest. A few weeks before harvest, we, we, took some, we did some digs to collect yield data among a number of other characteristics of the plant. So what we did was we collected three metre digs at three different spots within the paddock for the endoprime, the no endoprime and the no fungicide treatments. And that way we could consider things like soil variation and differences in topography. We also took two three metre digs from the no base fertiliser and no phosphorus fertiliser strips as those areas were only small. Within each of the digs, we collected the number of plants, the number of stems, the number of tubers, the weight of the tubers. And then we also graded them into size grades, which were appropriate for the growers processing spec. And these specs included less than 50 millimetres, which would be considered out of spec, 
50 to 100 millimetres, 100 to 150 millimetres, and 150 to 200 millimetres. So looking at the results, the area of the crop that had endoprime applied had a lower number of stems than the area with no endoprime. The area of crop with endoprime applied also had a lower number of tubers per plant than the area without endoprime. The yield was fairly consistent across the treatments, but I'd say that the no fungicide treatment had the highest yield, but they were all relatively similar to each other. The endoprime and the no fungicide treatment had larger sized tubers than the no endoprime. And the mycorrhizal root colonization levels were higher in the no fungicide, no base fertilizer, and no phosphorus fertilizer compared to both endoprime and, and, and no endoprime. So what that says is the mycorrhizal root colonization levels were actually a lot greater in the areas where we pulled back on some of the inputs, which gave the mycorrhizal a chance to perform. Kelvin, did you have any other interesting observations or takeaways from these results? Yeah, a, a couple of things, points I'd like to make, um, Steph, is is first off, you'll hear us being on around um, root colonisation um, quite a bit uh, in, in these sorts of um, um, experiments, um, demonstrations, and it's really important to understand that if you don't have root colonisation, there's no other way, no other pathway for the fungi to actually influence the plant. The plant. So we use that as our sort of our standard to say, well, did it actually impact? And we saw a big change between no endoprime and then putting it on or endoprime with normal practice and then dropping out fungicides or fertilizers. So, you know, quite clearly, if you do want to improve your um, colonization, then looking at your inputs uh, are fairly important. <clears throat> the other standout result to me was uh, around the, the plant response to that colonization. And, and what we saw is when no endoprime was applied, um, we saw low levels of colonisation, but what happened is, is we seem to see a change in the plant behaviour. So when you had colonisation, the fungi association with the plant changed the way the plant performed. And what I mean by that is it, it tended to reduce the number of stems and tubers by about 40%. So um, typically you're getting about 14 tubers when you had no endoprime applied, but when you applied it, you had around about an average of 10. So quite a big decrease in, in tuber numbers, um, but yield was maintained. So um, to get the same yield with less tubers, you've got to have bigger potatoes. So if that's your goal, growing bigger potatoes, then um, it might be beneficial uh, um, to actually have... Um, some mycorrhizal association to change the way the plant behaves rather than increasing yield. Um, Steph did also highlight the fact that these are not replicated trials, so you always have to be a bit careful. But what we see across a number of sites is, is that's a fairly consistent response where we see um, fewer um, potatoes set but bigger potatoes under um, endoprime. And it depends on your market whether that's a, a benefit to you or not. So... Thanks for going through the results, Kelvin. Looking forward, are there any next steps or considerations that growers should be thinking about if they're looking to try biological products? Yeah, it, it's a difficult one for, for um, growers because, you know, like I said at the beginning, there are a, a broad range of biological products out there and there are just more and more hitting the market all the time. Generally, you're not going to see big responses to these products. They are 
playing at the sort of margins of 5% improvement. So generally, you can't tell 5% in the field. You've actually got to spend some time trying to measure it. So that's that's one of the challenges. The, the other challenge is because there are so many out there, it's it's how do you test them? And, and I tend to think of, well, the first thing I'd say is what's in it and is it alive? So for um, endoprime, then it's a live fungus. So it has to survive the supply chain and get to you in a living state so that it can actually um, perform. And um, I think that's where the um, Sumitomo has done a wonderful job with this product is, is they've actually um, formulated so it can survive the supply chain and delivers um, um, good viable um, inoculant, uh, mycorrhizal inoculant. Uh, and and that's, that has been a, a problem with mycorrhizal products in the past is, is studies have shown that, that um, a lot of them are not actually viable. <clears throat> so that's the first question. Is it alive and will it be live when you put it on? And then uh, there's a lot of other biological products now that are looking at more the, the postbiotics. So rather than applying a live um, organism, you're applying the products that that organism um, produces. Usually they ferment it in a, in a vat and then, extract the um, products and then and that they are applied as biologicals and they tend to be more stable um, but generally you won't know what's in them and the manufacturers don't tend to tell you what's in them so they're a little bit more um, black box ish so you know the other challenges of, of trying to work out where biologicals fit um, it's certainly you know we're at the start of a, a, a long chain that will a, a, a long process to actually work out how best to incorporate these into different production systems. I think the really interesting thing also is making sure that you have a control or something to compare it to. Uh, often when people change practice, they do it all at once and don't keep their old practice to see what the difference was once they started uh, something new. So I've, I think particularly for this demonstration, having a control meant that we could compare what does it look like with and without the product and were there any differences and and we did see we did see differences well interestingly at the actual field day Steph too there was um, quite a bit of discussion around seed potato quality and the potential that can have on your trial um, just a, a word of warning is that we know that that um, seed tuber quality um, varies a lot and so you just got to be careful interpreting one strip because you might have just happened to have put your best seed potato um, batch out in that one strip, and so there just needs to be a little little bit of caution. It's not like a you know like a corn crop where the genetics of the seed is incredibly uniform. You know, potato tuber um, quality varies quite a bit. Really good discussion we had at the field day around that. The same could be said about seasonal conditions as well, Kelvin. Uh, doing a demonstration over one season probably doesn't uh, replicate how it performs in, in your operational environment or your, your region. So doing it over a number of seasons, if you're particularly interested in using the product. Yeah, a, a really good point because, you know, like with demonstration trials, you don't have that replication. And really what we do is, is try and build that um, picture up over time across different farms and different um, seasons so that you get a, a an understanding of, of what's actually happening. And, you know, I, I just sort of, um, make the mention that, you know, if you look at broadacre and say um, nitrogen response of wheat, you know, we find a lot of times uh, if you go back and look at trials then in some seasons and some conditions, you don't get a nitrogen response. So, you know, like even a basic input is, is fertiliser, it's still not guaranteed that you'll see a, a, um, a, a, 
uh, increase in yield. It, it will depend on the conditions that you're putting it on. But you want, uh, in the overall balance, you, you're fairly confident that you're going to get something on a regular basis. And that's really how you have to approach the biologicals as well. Thanks, Kelvin. Jock Lees, the Marketing and Business Development Manager from Sumitomo Chemical, who are the producers of Endoprime, provided some suggestions on getting the best results from products containing mycorrhizal fungi. This is best summarised in issue 6 of the Potato Link magazine, which we have linked in the podcast show notes as well. Here are a few points on when they should be applied. When growing a crop that responds strongly to mycorrhizae, such as potatoes, after using a soil fumigant, when soil nutrition is not ideal or is limited, if the field has been empty of vegetation for six months or more, if crops have been grown which do not host mycorrhizal fungi, reducing natural populations in the soil, when soil constraints are present, such as sodicity or salinity, after any significant cultivation, and also when growing legumes, as mycorrhizal fungi and rhizobium are highly complementary. How do you obtain the best results? Ensure the spray, dip or drench solution is well agitated. Apply at planting or as early in the crop cycle as possible. Ensure good contact between the inoculant and potato seed. If applying through the irrigation system after planting, ensure enough water is applied to wash the material into the root zone. Do not over-fertilise the crop and apply enough to ensure colonisation. You can't overdose with mycorrhizal fungi. It's important to always adhere to product label directions and to obtain best results for a particular biological product, we recommend contacting the supplier of the product or your agronomist. Thank you to Kelvin for joining us on the podcast and to our listeners for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Uh, Thanks, Steph, and thanks for your listeners for tuning in.